HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This piece was brought to you by Roberta's, robertaspizza.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Welcome to Feast Your Ears. I'm Harry Rosenblum from the Brooklyn Kitchen, a cooking store located at 100 Frost Street in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Join me every Wednesday as I talk with people about what they do and how it influences their personal food stories. This is a show about people, life, and food. Please take a moment to like the show on iTunes and reach out if you have any questions. You can reach me at harry at thebrooklynkitchen.com. You can follow me on social media at thefoodballer. Today is episode number 65 of Feast Your Ears, and I'm very pleased to welcome David Tattashore to the studio. Well, to this side of the control room glass. <laughs> David is always in the studio. He is our intrepid engineer here at Heritage Radio. He's the first person to listen to all 35 of your favorite weekly shows as they're happening. Uh, thanks, David, for coming on Feast Your Ears. Thanks for having me, Harry. It's exciting to be here. A long-time listener, first-time <laughs> attendee. So I wanted, to, uh, I wanted to bring you into the studio because I thought, you know, every week, you sit there. This is, you know, 64 previous episodes of mine that you've watched and listened and, and sort of overheard and hundreds of other episodes and wanted to get some insight into, uh, you know, both what you do on that side of the of the glass, um, but also how it has influenced you in food. I mean, you probably are more, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're more informed than probably anybody else, uh, you know in the entire food space because you hear all these shows every single week. And I wanted to talk a little bit about that. Uh, in a way, I guess you could say that's true um, because I am, you know, listening to literally every show every week. I'm getting a really broad uh, range of, of voices. And uh, it, so that that is definitely true. But at the same time, I feel like I'm really in a lot of ways an outsider in this world. Um, and I, I think Jack always said the same thing as well, Jack Inslee. I mean, he... When he came on, uh, he you know one of the founding uh, members here of Heritage Radio, he was coming right out of school and you know knew a lot about engineering and music and that kind of stuff. And um, the world of food was a new thing for him, and that's exactly true for me as well. Um, I'm coming from like a music and recording studio background, so 
in a way, this has been another education for me. And so I'm definitely learning a lot, but I still feel, you know, a little out of my depth at times, um, you know, listening to some of the conversations on these shows. But, um, but yeah, it's been, it's been a great experience and has really opened me up to a whole new world. Yeah, I was going to ask you, um, like, what's the most significant change in your own relationship to food since you've become the engineer here at Heritage? So I, I don't think I ever really saw food as just, like, fuel, you know. Like, it, it's always it. had greater significance than that for me. But at the same time, you know, and, and I feel like for a lot of people, you're busy in your daily life. And a lot of times, um, you know, maybe that's something that can go by the wayside. And so that's happened I think for me, especially like in, in grad school and, you know, just moving to New York, like so much going on, always really busy. And, um, so it's been easy for me to kind of think of food almost as an afterthought. Sure. And, uh, I, I think it's definitely slowed me down, uh, a little bit like, you know, being, and, and I guess <laughs> it also doesn't hurt like living with my girlfriend who is like very involved in the food space as well. Um, just to like kind of slow down and, and pay more attention. Um, so, you know, you sit here at Roberta's, you're probably here more than the employees of Roberta's in many cases. <laughs> uh, do you have a favorite thing on the menu? Oh, that's tough. So I mean, obviously Roberta's is known for the pizza. Yeah. The pizza's fantastic, but, um, I really love the cheeseburger. I really love all the pastas that they do. And I, I guess a lot of these things are only on the lunch menu, which, uh, stops at, I want to say four or five p.m. I'm not totally sure, but uh, oh, and also all the all the breakfast food, the brunch food is amazing. Like so many great, um, the soft scrambled eggs is a good one. Uh, there's a new, oh, I can't remember what it's called, but it's like it's like farro and a soft boiled egg and uh, and kale. That's a great dish. Is there anything secret and off menu that you know about? Uh, well, of course, the Millennium Falco is a. Yeah. Uh, long-running off-menu item indeed um yeah that's that's the big one for me that's that if i had to pick a favorite pie i think it would be that yeah that's a good one yeah so uh i'm not going to ask you which show is your favorite <laughs> obviously it's mine obviously um but i am i, I am going to ask a couple questions about so you know for those of you who've been to roberta's and you've seen the heritage studio it's a 15 foot long shipping container uh it's the size of the inside of a moving truck essentially yeah. um it's pretty small uh, small space taken up. There's a there's a boar head on the wall. Silvio. Silvio. Silvio Borlasconi. And uh, you can visit him if you come. We have a we have a, a Ganesh in the corner. Um, so you know there's a lot. There's there's four chairs. There's a, a, a DJ road case uh, over there. There's a there's a tiny dorm fridge. So there's not a ton of room. And so I was going to ask you, what's the largest number of people? that have been in the studio for an episode. I, I, I can't give you an exact number, but I can tell you without hesitation that it was probably a Beer Sessions Radio episode because Jimmy Carboni will always pack him in here and <laughs> always manages to, to make it work. Like, I mean, he's been doing this a long time yeah. and uh, he knows how to how to run a show. So, yeah. Always, I would, always a party with Jimmy. Oh, my God. I, I, probably close to uh, 15 or maybe even 20 people. In, no, 20 is probably an exaggeration, but... Yeah, 15 people maybe around there. Yeah. 
Um, and is there, you know, in your experience, do you um, do you think there's a sweet spot for the shows? I mean, obviously, the shows are all different. Jimmy's show has a lot of people. It's often, you know, more of like a party atmosphere. My show is often like one-on-one. But do you have a preferred format, um, like interviewer plus two or shows with two hosts? Hmm. No, I mean, I think like you said, every show is different and every host is different. And one of the things that makes me love this job and love coming to work every day is how, you know, it's always something different. And you guys constantly impress me day after day with the way that you run your shows. And it's it's just a lot of work, not just in the studio, but in all the preparation that you do. So, yeah, I, I I don't really have an answer for that. I think it's all, it all has its place and you all really perform uh, admirably so you said you didn't really come out of the food out of the food world but you grew up outside philly yes right in uh media pennsylvania media and now i work in the industry so that's uh that's you so you followed shot <laughs> uh well there's nobody in the yeah. control booth to do the rim shot we'll, we'll add it in post all right great <laughs> um so you know what growing up like, what was your relationship to food? I mean, people have all different ones, right? Um, some people cook a lot at home. Some people don't. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my mom was very into, like, you know, there was, like, a period of time where she was way into, like, macrobiotics, you know. Mm-hmm. So, like, what was your what was your childhood? Like, what are your food memories from childhood? Well, definitely my strongest food memories are, are coming from my dad's side of the family, um, Italian family. And so growing up, you know, we would go to my grandmother's house on Sundays and just – yeah, always, always surrounded by my grandmother's cooking and you know, all the typical Italian things that you can think of, you know, spaghetti and meatballs and um, gnocchis, of course, my favorite, <laughs> which I finally learned how to make recently from scratch. Nice. Um, but yeah, that, that was definitely the biggest um, influence probably. But then on the other hand, on my mom's side, um, and my mom's, a, she's a fantastic cook as well. Um, I don't know that I could pin it down to a particular type of cuisine, like Italian, for example. Uh, although she also loves Italian food and cooks it very well. Um, but her her father, my grandfather, um, he always loved to cook. And so uh, my mom, she's a nurse, and so she would have, like, weird hours and, and would... Um, dropped me off at my grandparents' house to be babysat during the week when I was a kid. So I would always help my grandfather out in the kitchen. And one thing uh, right off the top of my head, like the number one thing I remember making with him is this blueberry pie from scratch. Nice. Um, that's probably, I would say, my earliest food memory, even like earlier than the Italian cooking. Um, but just, you know, getting in there and, you know, rolling dough or, or whatever he would have me do. Making dessert. That's yeah. Nice. Oh, yeah, yeah. Always had a, always had a sweet tooth. <laughs> That's for sure. So, uh, do you still make blueberry pie? No, I know. And and I was thinking about that as as I uh, as I thought about that memory earlier. Um, we definitely have the recipe. My grandfather's passed away, but I mean, my mom definitely has that recipe, and and she'll bust it out for holidays usually. But I mean, uh, that is one of the most amazing things I think about food in families, right, is that you do have this ability to have these memories around a certain person with a certain dish. Yeah. Um, I certainly have, you know, similar things. I mean, my mom used to make asabuco for, like, you know, 
for for special occasions, and so that's definitely a dish that like is very associated in my mind with my mom. Even if I yeah. you know if I go out to dinner and I have it or whatever, like there's a very clear person associated with that recipe. Whereas something like pizza, I don't have a person in my brain that I associate with pizza. Right. I guess I would associate Scott from Scott's Pizza Tours with that. <laughs> Shameless plug for my buddy. <laughs> nice, nice. Um, and you're from a city where they call a long sandwich a hoagie. <laughs> Correct. So it's something. It's something that, as you're well aware, I, I ask uh, all of my all of my guests, uh, not always on the air, but what they call a sandwich that's longer than it is wide. Right. Um, I feel like Philadelphia has a real claim to. You know, to hoagie as, sure. you know, I mean, lots of people tell you what the right thing is. Um, I grew up in a place where we called it a wedge. Wedge? Yeah, in uh, Westchester County. It's called a wedge. Interesting. Uh, and then later in a place where we called it a sub. Sub, sure. Yeah. Um, but uh, so uh, as far as Philly, where's your favorite place to get hoagies? It's not the Wawa. I'll tell you that. Oh, quick, di- <laughs> quick digression. <laughs> so for Christmas, my brother, who still lives in the Philly area, Westchester, it's called actually Westchester, sure. Pennsylvania, got me this Wawa gift card for Christmas. And I'm like, Drew, you, you realize <laughs> I live in New York. This is like this is useless. There isn't me. even one, I don't think, in the whole state. No, no, right? of course not. Jersey. Yeah, think, Jersey. But... <laughs> but so I had some friends from Philly visiting recently, and I like tried to sell it to them, and they were <laughs> they were not having it. Oh, you couldn't but. even like trade them for a couple of beers. <laughs> no, and I was I was like, come on, market value. It's just yeah, it's twenty bucks you, here, twenty bucks you'll, there. Whatever. You fill up your gas tank or something. Yeah. Um, okay, but let's see. Hmm. Well, like hoagie. So I wouldn't. First off, let me just say I wouldn't call a cheesesteak a hoagie. That's sure, its sure, sure. Own no, not thing. Yeah. Okay. Um, hmm. I guess. Well, it's no longer in existence, but Chickie's Deli for a time was my favorite. Um, that was when I lived in South Philly, very close to uh, the ubiquitous Pats and Geno's. Sure, yeah. I mean, I, didn't, I, yeah, I, I avoided that. I didn't want to even go in the Pats and Geno's <laughs> thing. It's like, the, that's too obvious a question yeah, for someone yeah. from Philly. And I'm not from Philly, so I, you know, I hear people. I just feel like that's kind of a, like, yeah. shot. Well, yeah, now there's those commercials with, uh, it's like giant cheesesteak fighting giant Ben Franklin. And I think it's actually a Philly tourism <laughs> commercial that I've seen on TV, so they're really playing that up but um but yeah anyway chickie's deli i think they went out of business but it was on uh alder street between 10th and 11th right off of federal and i lived on alder street at the time so it was like you know 20 feet from my front door um so yeah convenience was a factor but also they had an amazing uh tuna hoagie um, that's what I was going to ask. What your, your go-to go to is? Yeah, they they made a really good like Italian tuna hoagie. That nice. was that was my go-to. Roast beef and Swiss has always been my, Ooh, yeah, that's my go-to one for a long time. And then when I worked in a deli in high school, I would always put like one slice of mortadella. Ooh, with the roast beef and Swiss, and that was real. But like getting Classic. someone else to make that is a little bit hard because you sound kind of <laughs> like a dick. Yeah, <laughs> you're like, let me get a roast beef and Swiss with one piece of mortadella. Ah, an aristocrat. Yeah, it's a little weird to ask i think um so speaking of philly you know philly is uh i haven't spent a ton of time in philly but i feel like you know philadelphia being that it has so much great american history associated with it i mean obviously new york's got more but <laughs> you know but i feel like philly first capital of the nation I exactly don't know. well i mean philly kind of is a little bit like <laughs> underserved i think sometimes in that realm right yeah, like yeah. people you know people talk about boston and they talk about paul revere and they come you know they 
obviously New York has tons of tourism and not that Philly doesn't, but uh, what are some of your, you know, do you have a couple of like favorite like tips on cool places to check out in Philly? I mean, I remember when I went to Philly, I thought it was awesome to see the Liberty Bell. Okay. So you mean more of like the historical anything i mean variety. historical or like if someone was going to be in philly for 24 hours like what are the two things you'd be like you got to check this out mm. could be anything oh man oh my god you're kind of stumping me in a way. <laughs> well I, I, well i have to bring it back to food actually i would say if you're in philly get get pho while you're there in south philly which we, we call it pho but in, <laughs> in new york i i will pronounce it correctly <laughs> Um, yeah, there's just like a great, like enclave of Vietnamese uh, restaurants and shops in South Philly alongside actually a really strong Mexican one. Oh, wow. Um, you know, all clustered. Like neighboring. Yeah. With, uh, Little Italy. Um, oh, nice. Or the Italian market. I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Get my cities. Well, I mean, the Italian market's a great place to visit. Oh yeah. Yeah. No doubt. Philly for food. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Now that you put this question to me, I'm realizing how... <laughs> little culture I got living there. You know, it was like, I'm thinking of like six bars off the top of my head. Yeah. I mean, the art museum is always great. Um, and if you go further out along Kelly drive, like it's a beautiful park out there. Um, boathouse row, which you can walk. Yeah. I guess I didn't really get outside that much while living there. Well, so, so let's, uh, so let, let's move on with uh, sort of your, uh, (laughs) so, so then, uh, so, tell me how did you get into how did you get into radio like how did how did engineering and sound and music and stuff become something that you were interested in sure um so i actually went back to school for for audio in uh, i guess like 2009 i want to say uh i'd been working in it like not really sure how i even ended up there just you know one of those things i fell into and really hated it so uh, a friend of mine that I worked with actually told me about this program at a community college, um, Montgomery County community college, MC three. <laughs> and, um, so they had this, this audio program and I did some investigating and went and took a tour and met the guy who would eventually become my main professor. And I was just immediately, okay, this is it. Like the studios, there were beautiful. The, the faculty was all really amazing. And, and, you know, turned out to be very supportive. Like I'm still very close with them to this day. And it was just, it was such a great environment and, you know, really laid the, the groundwork for me, I think, to get into this career. Because one of the, one of the things we actually had to do, everybody in the digital audio program was required to edit, at, record and edit at least one episode of MC3 on the air every uh, semester. Hmm. That's the um, the radio show that the college does that the president of the college hosts and interviews a different person from the community each week. And everybody kind of saw it as a chore because um, it was, you know, you had to edit out all the ums and ahs and yeah. uh, just make sure everything sounded good. And I really loved doing it. I just, so I ended up doing, you know, like six or seven a semester. Ah, overachiever. And, yeah, I know. Um, but it also, you know, I was going back to school later in my 20s and sure. had a much better outlook on it, um, you know, than a lot of 
Sure. I mean, the perspective you have when you're a kid, right? I mean, you know, it's the whole idea. I mean, I remember my dad always saying when I was a kid or my grandfather would always say, youth is wasted on the young. And I was like, oh, that's (laughs) such an old guy thing to say. But now that I get older, I'm like, well, it's kind of true, right? I mean, I look at myself, like, I look at myself when I was 18 and I went to college and I was like, God, I just like, I wasted so many opportunities. Yeah, it goes both ways. I mean, there's like something kind of beautiful about fucking up when you're young but at the same time yeah I, I look back and think man I could have done so much more and and not even I mean it's not even yeah you're right I mean there is something not, I mean there is something beautiful about that time in your life and being sort of free and like you know unburdened to a certain extent mm-hmm. but I, I just feel like it's you know like I could have made better use of it not that I could have been somebody else right like I don't right. have like you know I have no visions of grandeur that like I could have been in the NFL or I could have <laughs> been in the NBA like whatever maybe the CFL <laughs> maybe <laughs> note to uh, last week's guest just kidding uh, but <laughs> But I, I uh, you know, but I just think about like, you know, oh, man, if I had just like if I had instead, you know, if I'd applied myself a little bit harder in this one instance, you know, I could have had this other experience that I didn't get to have. Yeah. Like, exactly. And you only notice that stuff when you're older. Exactly. Yeah. And like you said, it's not like I would want to do a total reset and yeah. be somewhere completely different. Like I'm really I really love my life <laughs> right now and I'm really happy with where I am. But yeah. but yeah, you know, just certain things, of course, you'd always like what's the saying like the the consequence of a of a life lived is regret or the un, unavoidable consequence right. or something like that uh we're going to take a short break and hear from one of our sponsors here at heritage radio network and when we return i want to hear a little bit about wts my name is brandon boy co-owner of roberta's a super duper awesome place roberta's is a very 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 proud sponsor of the heritage radio network we're also super awesome thank you heritage welcome back to feast your ears i'm harry rosenblum from the brooklyn kitchen and super pleased to have david tatashore engineer extraordinaire of heritage radio network joining me in the studio today i got david to come through the door just turn on the board nobody's engineering this show well david's sort of engineering it but he's sitting in here with me in the studio i've always i've always got one eye on the board <laughs> and you're on the uh, board and uh so before the break uh we were talking a little bit about sort of david's uh trajectory of how he uh, got into engineering and and uh, working on podcasts and uh i'd like to hear a little bit about wts which is a new podcast that you're working on that is not part of heritage radio network indeed so wts or wtspodcast.com is uh it's called what's the story it is a fictional storytelling podcast that uh was conceived by my good friend brian farrell i've known him since college um we used to write for the newspaper there together and his idea his his elevator pitch for it i guess is um it's like if This American Life were a workplace comedy, you would have What's the Story? So his character, the main character, is a fact checker at a magazine, which is based on <laughs> one of Brian's real life experiences. I won't say which, but uh, and he is, you know, totally fed up and disillusioned with that career because he's just getting constantly harassed by the writers and, you know, he they just want to tell their stories and not be burdened by facts. the facts. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So a little too close, a little too close for comfort. Well, and I'll, I'll get to that actually. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so the character has an epiphany though. And this is all explained in the intro of the first episode, sort of laying the groundwork. 
he has this epiphany, sort of a misguided one, when he hears the episode of This American Life where uh, the reporter Mike Daisy was doing a story about a plant, uh, sure, an apple Foxconn. Yeah. yeah, in China, and it later came to light that um, elements of that story were fabricated. So Ira Glass went on the air and yep. like did a public apology. And if I remember correctly, like his main source, who he interviewed during the show and like who was quoted, was just fabricating. Yeah, yeah, completely. So. Uh, after hearing this this apology from Ira Glass, the character Ray Elliott, whose name is an homage to uh, Bob and Ray, if you're familiar, yeah, um, he he decides, oh wait, okay, people don't care about facts; they just want to hear good stories, and so I'm going to set out to start my own storytelling podcast, and we're gonna we're not going to worry about facts; we just want to tell good stories, and that's how. What's the story? And the setup, the setup is the idea that it's not, it's not just setting out to tell stories, right? Because it's not, the idea is it's not setting out as a fictional thing. It's not like selected shorts, for instance, right? Where like, you know that those are fictional stories. Right. Well, I mean, it's, I mean, the audience knows, I just mean the characters within the. Right, right. I mean, to them, it's very real and they all have their own agendas and they're just not going to let facts get in the way of those agendas, which are what is driving the story ultimately. Yeah. Um, And so is this. Is this a, an open-ended podcast that will just continue going, or do you guys have the whole sort of world written out and you have a certain number of episodes? Uh, well, season one is self-contained. It's four episodes long, and that's all out there now. Um, WTSpodcast.com. WTS iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, TuneIn. We're on all of those. Um, so it it is done now. I mean, if for whatever reason we're able to continue it that would be fantastic but we're also content to leave it as it is um it's out there and we we put a lot of time and work into it and so we're definitely satisfied that it is is a completed work but you know certainly wouldn't be opposed to revisiting it if if the opportunity came up i mean i i recommend i highly recommend people listen to it especially if you are a like avid npr listener um, I mean, it definitely like it, you know, that it pokes fun at, I think, in a really smart way, a lot of that stuff in This American Life or Radio Lab, or I mean, you know, and those are shows that I feel like they, they also those shows in particular, I feel like sort of draw you in. I mean, I remember when I first found them like, oh, this is great. It's entertaining, but it's yeah. interesting. And it's like, it, it's factual. And it like, you know, it, it, it fills this interest in like, you know, I, I find myself without a lot of time to like read long format, like articles. And so it's like, yeah. it sort of fills that void. But then after sometimes you're just like, you're like, really, Chad? <laughs> like, <laughs> it's just like, it's a little too much. And so I really love the way that uh, What's the Story kind of handles that. Oh, thank you. And and I also have to say, I mean, we're we're obviously, if it didn't come across, huge fans of podcasts and, oh, yeah. and that kind of storytelling. So, so, yeah, I mean, definitely it's very self-referential, but it's also in a way our, our love letter to, to that type of storytelling. Yeah. Um, and so tell me about the timing of it, because so we find ourselves living in the in the age of fake news and alternative facts. Right. Uh, and your first episode, uh, when did it premiere? It premiered like right when the inauguration happened. Right? Uh, yeah. Episode one came out the week before and then the inauguration happened and, and then episode two came out. That was just so when when Brian conceived of this, it was just really 
Well, it had it, it was before any of this <laughs> craziness had had started. I mean, I guess it was always kind of percolating under the surface, yeah. but I don't think it really. I don't think it directly informed what he was trying to do. And if you go to the website, um, we say on there kind of you know. It's like a storytelling podcast for the post-truth era, but that <laughs> that didn't really happen until the moment that it was time to release it. And so it ended up being oddly more relevant than we could have ever planned for. Right, right. You didn't write it based on the relevance. You wrote it because it was a good idea. Yeah, and, I, well, and, and like I said, I think a lot of those things have been, have been happening in our society for for quite a while now and it just now has only you know exploded into this festering rash that it is but um but yeah i mean we we think that 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 we definitely hit the timing somehow uh just right but that's not to say that we are like trying to make some kind of grand statement about any of this either i mean this is what it is and and we don't have any we don't have any answers really it just yeah. you know yeah. i mean you know the the world has changed quite a bit and where you're like you know we are living in this bizarre realm where you know a hundred years ago if you told somebody something they took it at face value right right because the likelihood that they could even possibly go anywhere to research and see if you were right was not you know that wasn't even an option yeah and then you know fast forward to now where it's like you say something even if you're like no i think the you know the Knicks won the nba championship in such this year i can look at my phone and be like you're wrong yeah right like instantly right and so and we just so we find ourselves with this like insanity of like you know you can look at your phone and be like no i don't think climate change is real because it says so right here on my phone right and then you're in this in you know this like insane conversation with someone who is a climate change denier you know, yeah, like my father-in-law. Oh, jeez. <laughs> um, so, you know, on on that note, on a much more real, I don't know if you've seen. Uh, it's not a podcast yet, although I wonder if they would think about starting one. Um, I recently came across what the fuck just happened today. dot com, <laughs> uh, which for me anyway, I mean, I find all of the noise about all the like craziness that's going on in our government um, to be really hard to like parse and swallow and like feel like I'm informed. Yeah, and. Uh, what the fuck just happened today.com sort of does a really good job of just sort of collating that into a daily digest. Mm-hmm. And it started and they have it all archived back to, um, since the inauguration. So, you know, this is day 32. Wow. Um, and so they have, wow, that's it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. That's it. I know that everybody so says that, like, it feels like a million years and yeah. it's, you know, at this point it almost sounds cliche, but like, uh-huh. wow, really? It, yeah. it, it has. Yeah. Day 32. And so there's eight articles about what happened, you know, yesterday and today. Um, so that's, you know, something I would definitely recommend that people people give a, Interesting. Give a nod to. So it's like an aggregator, basically? Yeah, it's, it, it's an aggregator. Um, you know, and it feels very, you know, I'm, I'm sure that, uh, you know, it uh, would probably get lambasted as fake news by Alex Jones. And all Naturally, those, but, yeah. You know. The news is only as real as we can make it or something. I don't know. There's some there's some kind of like higher saying in there. <laughs> I mean, all the news that's fit to print doesn't seem to work anymore. No. Right? Really... <laughs> yeah, we'll think of something. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so do you also produce music? Uh, yeah, a little bit. So uh, like I said, before getting into Heritage Radio, I was working in recording studios. Um, I got to shout out David Ivory in uh, Pennsylvania, the first guy I ever worked for in a recording studio like my earliest mentor in that regard. So, um, you know, definitely helped me get to where I am now. Um, and yeah, I just, 
I always enjoyed doing that stuff, but I quickly found out that making a career out of it, at least in a, you know, I guess traditional sense, wasn't going to, wasn't going to cut it. Um, and I remember when I was working for David Ivory, we had to run some errand and we were in his truck going, uh, like the hardware store, I think. And he was listening to, you know, NPR. And I remember thinking, wow, this guy, he's Grammy nominated and an amazing, uh, engineer and producer. And he's like, he doesn't even listen to music. But then I, I sort of realized it's because he listened to music all day, every right, day right. as part of his job. <laughs> and I mean, I, I loved everything we worked on there, but as I continued on in, in music, I started to get to the point where, you know, I just, I wasn't really enjoying it as much. Um, and you know, you can't really afford to be too selective if you're trying to pay the bills. Right. And so I got to a point where I sort of thought, okay, I, lo- I love music and I love working on music, but it's for me, it's like, I want to do it because I love the project or I'm interested in the project. And so, uh, yeah, so I, I like, I mix records for people. Um, I am like working a little bit on my own stuff. Um, I just worked with a band, did a, like a vocal session the other night. So yeah, like all these things I, I continue to do on the side. Um, and that's not to say that it's like a side note to my life. It's, it's definitely a big part of, of, uh, of my life and, and what, you know, what I'm passionate about. But, um, yeah, that's how I sort of got into more into radio and and not because like, I felt like, Oh, I can just ignore the, uh, (laughs) the stuff that doesn't interest me. That's not, that's not what I'm saying at all. I just, I don't know. It, it it feels more, I don't know. I feel like I'm, I'm having more of like a daily, like getting, getting something out of it. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Um, anything, any recommendations you would make to, uh, folks who want to either record or start their own podcasts, uh, pitfalls, things to watch out for. Hmm. Man. Uh, yeah, I guess have a really good idea because there's just so right now, a lot of it is just, it's quantity over, over quality. I feel like, And and I think we're starting to turn the corner with that. I mean, podcasts are definitely becoming more well-produced and, and thoughtful. Um, but I mean, yeah, anything in any creative industry, like, like, it, it, of course it's a good thing that, that getting a hold of the tools is a lot easier. Like there, there's nothing wrong with that at all, but it's also just making it so that there's kind of a glut of content. There's, sure. There's sure. so and much content. Absolutely. Now. I mean, I, you know, I look at both video and audio content and it's like, you know, I mean, my kids troll through YouTube and it's like, you know, Christmas morning at the McKenzie family. Yeah. It's like, why, like, I can't imagine why you would put that up, but it, like, it was like 40 minutes of these kids opening their Christmas presents. <laughs> that was like someone's home movie that they put up on YouTube. Yeah. And it had like, you know, 40,000 views. And it's like, what? Well, I mean, forget the, like how I feel about the like privacy issues surrounding that. But it's just such a, to me, that's very weird. I would never do that. Yeah. Right. And I, I feel like it, your, your recommendation is a good point that, uh, you know, just hearing yourself talk, which you also have to have, right. I like hearing myself talk. It's fun. <laughs> um, but there has to be kind of a point. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, not to say like, I don't, I don't think I'm like the ultimate arbiter of, of taste oh, yeah, or anything. Yeah. Like, you know, like I said, I, everybody totally has the right to, to put out whatever they want. I just, 
yeah, if you're going to do it in this climate, I would say try and try and think it through. And also, like, invest in good equipment because I think that really goes a long way. I mean, yeah, you can – for sure you can make a podcast with just, you know, your iPhone. But, right. you know, if you want to make it stand out and you want it to – if you want the quality to be a little better, then, you know, I still think it – it behooves you to to go that extra mile or extra dollar and yeah. you know get something sure i mean you good. could you could shoot a feature film on an iphone too yeah like and some people have and they have with, with success yeah. but not everybody can do that right it's a little i mean i do find some of the some of that stuff like it's great to have it to have it out there but in fact if you want to really do it i think you're right i think you do need a certain level of professional equipment style knowledge yeah and that's where I come in. You can you, hire me. You, yeah. I was going to say, are you are you uh, are you for hire outside of here? Uh, I don't know if I have time for that. <laughs> David's pretty. I mean, thirty five shows a week in yeah. this studio is a lot. Mm-hmm. So, uh, well, we're coming. We're we're just about out of time already. Um, already. Um, I mean, you know, you you always have a direct line to a microphone to the listeners of Heritage Radio. You could just true. jump in on any show. Not that that's <laughs> I don't think you would. Um, but is there anything uh, anything else you wanna you wanna mention? So people should check check out uh, wtspodcast.com Yeah, and listen to those four episodes. Yes, immediately do yeah. that. Um, WTSpodcast.com. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't know. Uh, we're just that. That was like that took up so much of my time lately, and now we're now we're coming out of it. I'm like, now I have to I have to write my thesis. I guess I'm like <laughs> that's my next big thing I need to work on. And what, um, what is your thesis on? Um, it's gonna be so. It's gonna be like an ethnographic study of electronic music producers in Philly, where I'm from. Talking to them about so I'm in a music technology program. Um, and so the topic has to relate to technology in some way. So I'm going to talk to these producers about how they use technology in making music, how that's changed the way that they approach the composition process over the years. Um, a lot of, a lot of interviews. I'm going right. to be doing a lot of interviews with people compiling those. Um, yeah. Um, all that is to say that that's like the next big thing I need to think about now that the podcast is, is out there. I feel like that's one thing off my plate yeah. now I need to, go back and do this because god <laughs> you just need to get it over with <laughs> well it's been a real pleasure david having you on the show thanks Harry. Uh, thanks so much for joining me today on feast your ears anytime uh thank you to both for for engineering and for being my guest both uh it's been great uh thank you to Kristen baylor who's my producer here at feast your ears and you can find feast your ears as well as lots of other great shows that david engineers at heritageradionetwork.org uh, also, those shows are available on iTunes and Stitcher uh, and I think a few other random places where you can get podcasts online. Uh, please take a moment and like the show, review it, send me any questions, uh, even if, or if you don't like it. I guess you can non-like it. I don't know how that works. Uh, and follow me on Instagram, at The Foodballer. Talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. 
and we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.